If you're standing on a threshold, if you feel a yearning to tap into your greatest potential, but you're caught in that fuzzy in-between space of the now and not yet, don't despair. You're being invited to pivot with greater purpose. You're on the thrilling edge of becoming. You are being called to unleash your soul song. I'm Becky Fleischer, and I believe we're all born with a gift that's uniquely ours, our very own soul song. And I discovered on my own journey that when we unleash it into the world, man, does it make life sing. You might express it through writing, science, cooking, nursing, teaching, or some other endeavor. The song is different for each of us, and its expression can change throughout your life. But it can only sing when you're in tune with your truest self. I know you're trying to get things in focus, that you're looking for encouragement and practical tools to illuminate your own personal journey. And that's what you're going to get here. I'm excited to travel this road with you. Let's get going. Welcome back to another episode of Unleash Your Soul Song. I'm your host, Becky Fleischer, coming at you with part two in our series on change. Thank you so much for your feedback on part one, the process of making life changes. If you missed that, you can always go back and give it a listen. It was just two episodes ago, so we're not too far away from it. You can also find the journaling prompts from that episode on my Instagram page at Unleash Your Soul Song. It's in a post from, hold on, let me look real quick. It's in a post from January 10th, 2022. So if you go back to that, you'll find that post with all of those prompts. So that process is something that I take my one-on-one clients through to help them when they're looking at making some big shifts in their life. And I brought it to you first in this series because this next part really builds on that first part, really builds on that work. So big shocker of why I did them in that order. Today, we're looking at habits. You know, those pesky little patterns that take root in our lives and become part of our default operating system, whether we want them there or not. And here's the thing about habits. They really define much more than just our behavior or the outcomes of our efforts, though they definitely do those things for sure, 100%. But they are more powerful than just that. Habits are actually a foundational part of our identity, of who we are and who we're trying to be. Now, way back, I think in 2012, Charles Duhigg wrote about the science of habits in his New York Times bestselling book, the power of habit. And he found that habits and patterns become really hardwired into the limbic system of our brain so that we become biochemically addicted to them, which is what makes them so daggone hard to break. We are really addicted in a chemical way to our habits. He has so many incredible resources on his website. I encourage you to look him up if you'd like to learn more. He has a guide to changing habits, a flowchart explaining how to break a habit, another flowchart explaining how to create a habit, and so much more. I will link to his website in the show notes. So if you want to go check those out, run over there and do that. But I wanted to go over really quickly the scientific cycle that he found that every habit follows. I think it's important and I think it's helpful when things have a pattern and when things have a common cycle about them. I think it's helpful for us to know those phases in it so that we can identify when we're in one. It helps us learn to identify them and also to break them. So here's the scientific cycle that he found every habit follows. It always starts with a cue. 
something that makes the behavior unfold. It makes it happen automatically. This can be a location, a time of day, a certain emotional state. Can be other people. <laughs> Not a surprise there. Other people can cue us. Or it can just be a pattern of behaviors that consistently trigger a certain routine. So I think it's very funny. I always think about this. I think about my dad used to ask, you know, well, what time is it? And we would say, oh, I don't know. It's like 1230 or so. And he would reply, well, I mean, dang, it's time for us to eat lunch. And we would laugh at him and say, I mean, are you even hungry? Like, are you hungry for lunch or is it just time to eat lunch? I think we kind of all do that when we're on vacation as well. And we kind of lose track of our, our daily patterns that we stick to the cue of time to tell us when to eat, even if we're not hungry. So that's an example of a cue that kind of comes in. That behavior is out of a habit, not really out of hunger. So cues, that's the first thing that happens with every habit. The second thing is routine, which is the behavior itself. It's doing the action. It's eating the food. The third thing is the reward. And this is why habits exist. And they're also the really tricky part because it can be hard to identify the reward. And on Charles's website, he takes you through an example. It's such a good one. Full credit to him for this example, but I am going to share it with you now. He was talking about a time in his life when he was gaining a little bit of weight. And he was kind of like, dang, I don't really want to be gaining all this weight and where's this coming from and he identified that every day right around 3 or 3 30 he would go eat a chocolate chip cookie so he decided to break this habit and he was like you know I'm going to figure out why I'm eating this cookie why I want this cookie he did a lot of things to isolate what the reward was for him so like one day instead of going upstairs to the cafeteria getting the cookie eating the cookie while he stayed there and chatted with his friends and then going back down to his desk he decided to instead get up, go outside, and go for a walk. And he came back and he was like, meh, that doesn't, I'm not really getting the same feeling, the good feeling. You know, it's not really hitting me in the same way. So that's not the reward. So then he decided the next day he would go upstairs to the cafeteria and buy a chocolate bar and he brought it back downstairs and ate it at his desk. And he was like, wow, you know what? It's not the chocolate bar. I don't really care about the chocolate bar. He realized that what the reward for him was going upstairs, getting the cookie, eating the cookie, and talking to his colleagues, talking to his friends during that time. What he realized was that he needed intellectual stimulation in a different kind of way around 3, 3.30. He was starting to drag a little bit, and he thought he needed sugar or a walk to help invigorate him. But in fact, what he needed was a different type of engagement, a different type of social engagement. And so now, instead of getting up, going upstairs, getting a cookie, eating the cookie, he would just get up around 3, 3.30 in the afternoon and go walk over to a friend's desk and say hi and chat for a little bit, kind of stretch and then walk back to his desk and get back on with his day. And he felt, yeah, there's the reward. I got the hit of what I was looking for. But it took him a little bit to unwind that. So it's really important to understand the habit cycle and how to get in there and break it. But what I really want to talk about today is how habits relate to our experience at the edge of becoming. Because embracing the edge of becoming is about true change. It's not about behavior change. 
It's not process change. It's not results change, though there are certainly those elements and aspects woven in. But I want to step back for one minute and see the larger tapestry. When we're embracing the edge of becoming, it's harder to see the individual behavior or process changes that we need to make because we are so disoriented and so unsure in that space. And more challenging than that, we don't even know the outcome that we seek. So we can't really be focused on results change because we don't know what the results should be. We can't focus on behavior change because we don't really know what the behavior should be. We can't focus on process change because we're so confused, we don't even know what the hell is going on, let alone what the process should be. It's not the same mindset as when you're tackling a habit, like eating the cookie every day at 3 or 3.30. When you're doing that and you're trying to break that habit, you know what result you're seeking. You don't want to eat the cookie every day because it's made you gain weight. You want to stop eating the cookie. It's very different from breaking and establishing new habits that are going to help us embrace the edge of becoming and go along this further journey. When I was at the edge of becoming, I would have done anything, I mean anything, for someone to have just told me the habit I needed to break. What pattern in my life is holding me back? What things do I need to change so that I can get oriented and get on with it? But it's not that easy. Right? Our journey's not that easy because we have to discover these aspects for ourselves. So it's easier in some ways to work with habits when you're dealing with behavior and process change. But on the edge of becoming, it feels more amorphous and it's harder to get your arms around. So what becomes easier then is to think that habits aren't part of this experience. Yeah, we tell ourselves, we don't need to worry about habits right now, not on the edge of becoming, because this is something totally, totally different, which is true. But if it's true that habits really define much more than just our behavior or the outcomes of our efforts, if they really are a foundational part of our identity, of who we are and who we're trying to become, then they have everything to do with embracing the edge of becoming. And this is why I really love the work of James Clear, the author of the smash hit book, Atomic Habits, because he takes the emphasis off of behavior change, off of process change, off of results change, and he redirects our attention to the fact that what we actually want is identity change. And I'll admit that when I first heard that, it kind of hit me a little funny because I think it's critical that we accept who we are as we are. In fact, our last episode with Crystal Leaves was titled Permission to Be Who You Are, to which I say, yeah, yes, absolutely. And you guys know I love the and. Well, the title for that podcast episode with Crystal came from one of her quotes when she was talking about how astrology can put our lives into a bigger context to help us see that we're part of a larger unfolding. She said that when we can see that we're part of something bigger than ourselves, that it gives us permission to be where we are and who we are and who we're trying to become. That's part of the embrace at the edge of becoming. It's including all the things 
right? We've talked about that so many times, including all the things, all the parts of where I am, all the parts of who I am, and the yearning and the calling for who I'm trying to be. So I do like this refocus of habits off of process to identity as a more fitting motivational factor. I don't know, maybe it's not a motivational factor. Maybe it's just a more fitting perspective, a more fitting lens that we use at the edge of becoming when we're thinking about habits. And this might be a little bit different than how you've thought about it in the past. So what I hear James Clear saying when he's talking about identity change as the lens we should use when looking at habits, I hear him saying that people actually lack the clarity of what it is they want. So he says things like, the goal is not to read a book, it's to become a reader. The goal is not to write the article, it's to become a writer. What he's saying is, don't focus on the goal you want, or to say that a different way rather is, Don't focus on the action, or as Charles Duhigg would call it, the routine of the habit. Don't focus on that. Instead, focus on the type of person you need to be who has what it is that you want or who is doing the thing that you want to be doing. Let me say that again because it's important to get. We need to focus on the type of person you need to be who has what it is that you want or who is doing the thing you want to be doing, right? So setting that vision for our life, being the leaders of our life and setting that vision of who we want to be and then identifying what type of person we need to be who has what that is or who is doing what we wanna be doing. So when I meet someone who seems super dialed in, like really dialed in, like they're really in tune with their soul, They're walking on their path so boldly. You can just see the purpose and the joy. You know, the person who's really, really doing their part to help heal the world. You can feel it, the energy about it. All the things that we soul seekers really want to do. When we find someone like that, then we need to look at the type of person we need to be to have that type of life. Who is the person I need to be? That's the first thing to look at. And then we reverse engineer into that by identifying the behaviors, those patterns, the habits, the routine, right? That helps us become that person. Now our orientation for habits has completely changed, right? We're not focusing on the action first. We're focusing on who we need to become. And then he says, James Clear says, that our habits, those behaviors that we do, act like votes that we cast in favor of that person we want to become, that they add up over time. The more you do it, the more you do it, the more you do it, the more votes you have, they add up, they push you over the balance of being that person. He calls them the compound interest of self-improvement because they just keep building on top of each other. The more you do something, the greater that power becomes. You know, Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. So we essentially become that person by doing those things. Now, at the edge of becoming, it is so easy to want to do all the things because you're grasping, you're looking, you're searching. 
it feels like you're drowning. And what do drowning people do? They grab onto anything, anything at all that will help them float. But if we hit pause and pull up, like our friend Ben Kiker told us a few episodes ago, and then we take a moment to get clarity around the type of person we need to be to have what it is that we want, then we are going to be so much more effective at identifying the habits that can help get us there. Because there are so many things that we could be doing, so many. And I talked about it in the part one of this process. You have to find what works for you and you have to try different things on, but you also have to be careful not to grab too many things at once or you won't be effective at trying any of it. Once you have that identified in your head of the type of person you need to be, then it's gonna be so much easier to whittle out what it is you wanna try and what it is you don't wanna try, what habits you need to break and what habits you need to build. So one example from my experience was that I wanted to be a more spiritually grounded person. And so when I realized, hey, I want to be a more spiritually grounded person. So I realized I needed to have some kind of practice, some kind of daily practice in my life that would help me become that person who is more spiritually grounded. So I started to meditate every day to get closer to source wisdom and guidance. For someone else, their habit to get closer to source wisdom and guidance might be to pray every day. For someone else, that habit might be to walk in nature every day. You see what I mean? The habit is going to be nuanced even though we're all going for that same type of person, that identity of a spiritually grounded person. The habit will take its shape based on who you are, but what will keep each of us doing that action every day even though we're doing different actions to get to the same place, the thing that's going to keep us doing that action every day, or, you know, most every day, (laughs) it's the orientation to the type of person I want to be. I decided years ago, I mean, gosh, 20 plus years ago now, I decided very clearly that I wanted to be a healthy person. And so that orientation keeps me moving my body. I move my body every day in some kind of way. And it helps me be more mindful about the food that I'm eating and the things that I'm putting in my body. Because I made that decision over 20 years ago that I am going to be a healthy person. And healthy people don't sit around and binge TV every day all day long. Healthy people Don't eat horrible food for you every day, all day long. Healthy people don't do those things. So I don't do those things. It just became a habit based off of my orientation of deciding I am going to be a healthy person. That identity is what I wanted. So then my actions fuel me toward that identity. Now that we have this new frame for approaching habits at the edge of becoming, how we're going to make true change, Now it's time to look at how we break old habits and form new ones. The breaking part is easy because, spoiler alert, you don't actually break habits. You replace them. That's the truth. So it's really just about habit formation. How are you going to replace the habit? This is where Charles Duhigg's work is so helpful, understanding that cycle that habits follow, the cue, the routine, and the reward. 
because the way to form a new habit is to simply change one of those pieces. Now, James Clear, who, by the way, also has great resources on his website, I will link to him in the show notes as well. He has identified four stages of habit formation. That's really interesting. He breaks it down into noticing, wanting, doing, and liking. So in noticing, what he says is that what we think we lack is motivation, but what we actually lack is clarity. That we wonder, we sit and wonder, if I think I'll feel like doing X today. I think I'll wonder if I feel like I'm going to want to work out today. Instead of saying, I wonder if I want to work out today, you say, the first thing that I do when I wake up in the morning is go for a walk or do some yoga or move my body in some way. You just know that's the first thing you do in the morning. So for me in the morning, the first thing I do when I wake up is move my body in some way. The second thing I do is sit down and meditate. I know exactly when I'm doing those two things every single day so I don't miss it. And I don't have to wonder exactly when I'm going to do it or if I'm going to be able to fit it in or if I'm going to feel like it that day because I know when I'm doing it. It's not even a question. It's just going to happen. I'm doing it. The other piece of noticing, he said, is to fast forward six months from now and he wants you to imagine that you have failed at changing this habit of creating this new habit. And he wants you to lay out exactly why, what happened, what got in the way. And he said doing this then allows you to create if-then action plans. So if this happens and it gets in my way, then I know that I can do this. So for example, if I have to get up and go somewhere first thing in the morning, if I have an appointment and I don't have time to work out and sit and meditate, then I know I can do it right before I go to bed. Or I know I can do it in the afternoon when the kids are still at school and the house will still be quiet. So you have contingency plans by foreseeing where the roadblocks and hurdles might be. And you do that by projecting yourself out and just pretending like you've already failed at it and seeing what got in the way. Okay, so that's all wrapped up in his noticing piece of his habit formation flow. The second piece is wanting. And his point here is that our environment often influences our desires and our wants simply because they're right there. Our environment shapes us. So you really have to try to shape your environment in a way that will positively support this change. For me, I know that I need to practice my guitar more. And if my guitar is locked up and put downstairs in the basement and I'm constantly in my office upstairs, guess what? I'm not going to practice my guitar as much. But if my guitar is upstairs in my office and the case is right there and it's easy to access and I have a great place to sit and I have a great place to practice, I'm going to do it a lot more. So create that positive environment. I did that when I started meditating as well. I created a little corner that was soft and comfortable and cozy and I had some good diffuser there that had some really nice oil that was smelling great. And it just was so inviting. I couldn't wait to sit in that chair and start the work. So create that positive environment. The third piece for him is in doing. And it's very simple. You just gotta shut up and do it. I mean, go for it already. Hone the skill. Years ago, when I first started singing again, we were booked for a wedding. And my singing partner, 
and I had to do this song. I think it was Jack Johnson, Better Together. And we were doing a duo style, and I can't remember the version, but Jack Johnson sings this song with a female singer at some point. And she sings these really high, she's in a higher range of her harmony. So we were trying to do this, and I just, I, I wasn't vocally trained to get up there yet. And so I said to him, I can't, I can't do it. I can't sing those high notes. So we're just going to have to pick a different song. And he said, you know what? I'm sorry. We're not picking a different song. The bride and groom asked for this song and we're going to sing this song. So you need to train your voice to get up there. We have time. We had months to get ready. So he was like, we have time and we're just going to have to train you to get up there. And so I was like, oh, all right, fine. What are, what are the exercises? You know, and there are exercises. But every time we would rehearse, he would pull the song out and he would say, okay, let's work on better together. And I would say, I can't sing that song. I can't hit those high notes. And he said, Becky, the only way you're going to hit the high notes is to sing the high notes. What he was saying to me was, you can't not try. Like, you have to continue to sing toward it. He wasn't expecting me to hit the high notes in rehearsal and get there, but he certainly wasn't going to let me stop singing that song. And sure enough, little by little, you know, it sounded horrible at first. I got my voice trained to get up there, but I could only do it by singing. It wasn't going to happen just by doing exercises or hoping I could get up there. I had to sing that actual song. I had to sing those actual notes or try to get up to singing those notes. So that's the part about doing. You really have to just take that step. You just have to start doing it. So there you go, doing. The fourth one he says is liking, that we only repeat behaviors because we enjoy something about them. We like the reward or we like doing it. And here I would point you to Tara Moore's work in her book, Playing Big. You guys know that I completed her facilitator's training course and I'm qualified to use her practices with my clients, and I do. And one that's really powerful is her success architecture. This is where she really helps people build out a way of supporting someone in creating a new habit. And there are lots of pieces here that mirror what we've already talked about. But one I wanted to pull out for this particular part is something that she calls a gift goal. You know, I had a client once who was an entrepreneur and she really needed for her business plan, she felt she really needed to engage more on Instagram, but man, she hated it. She hated doing it. So she was like, Becky, I don't, I just can't gear myself up for this. There's no energy behind it. I keep thinking I should just drop it, but I really know that, you know, when I do it, I get engagement and I get more business. So I really, I need to do this. And so we turned it into a gift goal for her. And the whole point of that is that you enjoy the doing, the action of doing, as much as the goal itself. See, that's the problem. She liked the goal. Yeah, engage more on Instagram and get more business. That's a goal. I like that. That's what I want. She hated the action in between. So we needed to change the action so that it became a gift goal, something that would feel good. So... We ended up identifying she loved every day. One of the things she loved to do every single day was to talk to her girlfriends a couple times, a couple of them, a few times a day, just to catch up, see what was going on, share business stories, swap life stories, see what's happening. And so I said to her, well, do you have an ideal client? 
And she said, oh, yeah, I've, I've done the whole, you know, market research. Who's my ideal client? Who am I talking to? And I said, well, what would it be like for you to talk to your ideal client every day? What would you say to them? And all of a sudden, everything shifted for her because then it became just a conversation. Ah, I can just talk to my ideal client like I talk to my friends every day. I love that. I love talking to my friends every day. Why can't I just talk to my ideal client? Throw a question out. See what they say back. Respond back in comments. Like all of a sudden she got all this energy around different ways that she could engage on Instagram that didn't feel icky and that didn't feel heavy and it didn't feel inauthentic and it didn't feel like a burden because she turned it into something that she would enjoy doing. So I love this idea of gift goals. That's part of Tara Moore's success architecture. And I love this idea that James Clear talks about, about we have to like what we're doing or we're not going to do it. You got to find something enjoyable about it because good habits have a cost because the reward is very often delayed. So you've got to figure out how to bring short-term rewards into the equation of the present moment. Seth Godin says that the best way to change long-term behavior is with short-term feedback. 100%. Without question. We all know how it feels when we walk into a gym and you got to start running on that treadmill and you're like, I hate this. I don't want to do this. This sucks. And then you get off that treadmill 30 minutes later after you had a good run or even a mediocre one or even if you just walked when you didn't feel like doing anything and you're like, oh, wow, I feel so much better now. You get that hit of dopamine. You need that in all these different equations to move forward. Another way you can do it is if there's something you're trying to get into a habit with, do it consistently for four days. Just get yourself however you can to do it for four days and put an X on your calendar for every time that you do it for those four days and then change your goal from doing the thing to not breaking the chain. Don't break the chain. So you can see I've got four consistent days here. Don't break the chain. That's the goal now. And that becomes a very different energy. That energy feels different and it helps you keep momentum. So those are some really key ways for us to start new habits, which then will help us break old habits. And I just want to point out again something that our guest Ben Kiker said, which is that what's more important than quantity or even quality is consistency. James Clear says the same thing, consistency over intensity. It reminds me of yet another one of our guests, Judith Martinez, where we talked about 1% changes making all the difference. The smallest movement, the smallest step, the smallest action is enough. It's enough because change happens plank by plank, board by board, step by step, minute by minute, breath by breath. Actions we take provide evidence of who we are. They get in there and rewire our limbic system. Because remember, these habits get in there. They're hardwired. Our actions change what we believe about ourselves. This is something James Clear talks about, that our actions actually change what we believe about ourselves. So if you go to church every Sunday, you believe you're religious. 
If you go to the gym three times a week, you believe you're healthy. If you meditate every day, you believe you're a spiritual person. And it doesn't really matter if you are or aren't that thing in the eyes of anyone else. It's the fact that your actions, your habits, form your beliefs. And our beliefs are so powerful when we are at the edge of becoming, when we are pushing through to the further journey, changing those limiting beliefs, and we can change them through our actions. So I hope that this episode has been helpful to you. I hope that it's given you a different way to look at habits and how they intersect with our experience at the edge of becoming. I'll leave you with this final quote from James Clear, that habits are the path by which we achieve internal change and actually become someone new. It's how we forge beliefs about ourselves, about our sense of self. Change your habits, change yourself. Thank you so much for being with me today. I would love to hear what you thought of today's show, what clicked for you, what didn't. Drop me a line over on Instagram at Unleash Your Soul Song and let me know. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you guys so much, and I hope you have a great week. You and me, you and me, he and she, he and she, next door neighbor, stranger down the street. Form a chain, form a chain, grab the clouds, grab the clouds, cause we haven't even touched our highest ground. No, we haven't even touched our highest ground. No, we haven't even touched our highest ground. Unleash Your Soul Song is recorded and edited in 426 Studios, the music production company that I co-own. For more information about our music and our services, please visit www.four26studios.com. That's www. 426studios.com.